This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, it is good to be back. It is. You know what? It was great down Mexico way, but uh, it's good to have the cans back on. <laughs> I was like, are you uh, Jimmy Buffett or something? Like, who says Mexico <laughs> way? Before I got there, you were a week down in Margaritaville, weren't you? <laughs> I was. I was. I was. No, but I really appreciate We had the... Uh, we had... Uh, our our uh, two teammates uh, helping out back here, the guys who filled in. Yeah, yeah, huge, we had huge Dave thing. the Irish Tiger and uh... and Chubby Pete. And it's funny, like it's it's the funniest thing about about those guys is they both had opportunities to give themselves like names, like cool DJ names, and yeah, and Dave show, went with we the were... Irish Tiger, which is which is very cool, very yeah. cool nickname if you're from Ireland. Yeah, um, and, and Pete, he's, yeah. He got to choose his own. He could have been anything. Yeah, black stealth. I mean, whatever. yeah, any whatever he wanted to be. <laughs> Went with Chubby Pete. Crazy. I, I, that one was odd for us. But uh, anyways, really appreciate but having those guys. They both did a very on. good job. Yeah, so they did a great job. No, thanks, guys. But actually, Matt, I'm really excited about the show today. We've got Benjamin Dacus. He's uh, from C.D. Howe Institute, and really, really interesting research about regulations on supply in municipalities. Yeah, I mean, the way you say it there doesn't sound as interesting, but basically what he does is him and a co-author go and chart how much more the end user, the people buying the property at the end, are paying 
due to the over-regulation in municipalities, and Vancouver does not fare well. No, you got to stay tuned, but it's astronomical yeah. how many hundreds of thousands of dollars is added on to the cost of new housing and in the, Vancouver. And, yeah, and the exciting thing about this is I, they released this report a couple of weeks back. We reached out because we wanted to hear more about it, and it's really this week where the media seems to be picking it up. I mean, Margaret, Margaret Wente yeah. has a piece in the Globe Mail about uh, their research, Business in Vancouver, UDI, I saw a couple other places. I mean, it's really making the rounds right now. So it's a a fortuitous moment for us. Stay tuned for that. Seriously, stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, Matt, you had a good time in uh, Mexico? Yeah, yeah. I I just mentioned for the second half in Playa del Carmen, which... Family wedding. Family wedding. All-inclusive is basically like you're cordoned off from... Yeah, the world right yeah. like it's but it, you know in a in a kind of good way if you're looking to relax because you lose touch with almost all reality which was kind of nice yeah no for sure and we were in we were in mexico city uh beforehand which by the way is uh, friends of ours have told us how great it is but man that is a great city and so how many people are on bikes and uh the parks are amazing. this is amazing actually because you say this and i was in mexico city i think the last time i was there was maybe 13 14 years ago and I do not remember a single person on a bike. I remember... Oh, there's bike shares in, everywhere. Insane traffic. Yeah. I remember yellow taxis that everyone said don't get in because you'd be uh, um, kidnapped. 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 Yeah. And then I remember riding the subway, uh, which is called the whatever, but it's an amazing... They have an amazing subway system. See, we did we did Uber, well. Uber and didn't uh, we didn't do any of the bike share, but it was... Uh, we walked every... We walked so many places and it was phenomenal. And we stayed in an area... Very close to uh, Contessa, I think it's called. Yeah. And then there's Palenka or Palenco. But awesome, awesome areas, awesome place. Some of the best food I've had ever. You were uh, telling me life. about a bar there that sounded pretty cool. There's a really, yeah, it was actually, you know what? When we got there, we weren't actually the oldest in the bar, like actually demographically, but I felt old. You were spiritually. Um, you're spiritually, you're I was spirit the oldest. Your spirit animal was the oldest. You were eternal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it was it was one of these things that we, a friend of ours said, you, you got to check out this Jules Basement bar. So we, we went out looking for it and we, we couldn't, we couldn't find it. And finally we we're walking by this taco shop and the hostess saw us looking at our phones and looking around and looking around. And it's just like a total, it's like a, a restaurant, like, a like almost like, it looks shop. like a family owned taco shop um, restaurant with like maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 tables. And the hostess says, Hey, you guys come here, come here, come here. And so I walk over to her and I'm thinking she's trying to get us to sit down and have a taco. Meanwhile, we're looking for this, this bar Jules basement. She goes, Jules basement. And I'm like, yep. Yep. And so I waves my wife, Sabrina, over. And it turns out she takes us back through the kitchen. And there's this... Like Goodfellas. It's crazy. There's this huge freezer door that looks like you're going into like an ice room. And she and and she opens up the, the door and sends us down these stairs in the freezer. So it's in, not in actually freezer. a fridge. It's not actually... A, it's like a fridge door, but it's totally hidden. And you go down and there's a nightclub underneath this taco shop, but you would never know it was there. And uh, it was, yeah, it was really neat. And then instantly, I, I was, we were joking about this because of how old I, I, I feel, or maybe, maybe how old I, how old I'm getting. I don't yeah. know. But I'm in this 
really amazing nightclub with like great music. They've got uh, everybody else cow like, basically <laughs> on free flow. Everybody's like dancing, having a good time. And all I can think about is fire exits. If, yeah, fire exits. I'm looking around. I'm going, where's the nearest fire exit? Like, how am I going to get out of here? This is unsafe. Like, do your parents know you're here? Like, it was crazy. <laughs> Tried so, to yeah. corral a bunch of people <laughs> yeah, yeah. out. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. We're out. But anyways, we stuck around for about an hour. It was actually a really cool wow, experience. Wow, that sounds but. amazing. That's You know what? It's places like that where I feel like I've been in not maybe as cool, but in New York City, like bars where it seems like there has to be a certain number of people in a city to get to that real cool stage where you see like yeah stuff like that it actually reminded me of new york in a lot of ways but uh it's just it's cool the the other thing i've realized is that outdoor spaces and i know vancouver's doing a big push to get uh way more patio space in the city yeah and i i think the like my idea of heaven on earth is literally like a, a patio some good food maybe a glass of wine or something like that but like in the sun you know like that the like a a warm night yeah. on a patio, yeah. and that you can do that. You can do that every night of the week. Mexico there. City does it well. Yeah, and they have in patios everywhere and jam packed, which is a lot of fun. So wow, hey, yeah. But anyways, enough about that. Uh, it's beautiful in Vancouver as well, so it's good to be back. Yeah. Well, hey. Well, maybe we should break down exactly what what Ben's talking about here a little sure. bit further. Yeah, you know, we were talking actually to Ben quite a bit before we actually went live and, and right. we covered, we, we started talking about the article. So when, once we hit, uh, record here, we were, we were a little deep into the conversation and we do pull back, but it might be worth going over, uh, you know, kind of the general points here. Basically, yeah. I mean, like we said, Ben's trying to figure out exactly how much of housing costs are due to overregulation. And in Vancouver, as compared to other expensive cities in in Canada, right. he's saying that a new single family house you can tack on six hundred thousand dollars wow. due to regulatory costs on top. And he's saying Vancouver is actually one of the worst in in the world. Yeah, which is not uh, maybe not, not that surprising. Uh, not that surprising. We're always but still, one of the most in the world. Rather yeah. the most livable or the most expensive or the most regulated. Yeah, always something yeah. like that. But right? I mean, really, he looks at basically three things right it's it's zoning development fees and green space and like i like to think of it as uh government limiting where you can build limiting what you can build and charging you to build and all three of those things uh and the amount of time it takes to get through that process really add an insane amount to uh to the final product bill and in a healthy market that's just not the case. But it's interesting because you hear you hear this argument about challenges with building. You hear it from developers. Now we've got a non-for-profit research institute, one of the most recognized in the country. Using, talking, using mainly data from Ontario, actually, yeah. as well. So it's like Vancouver's almost like tacked on here, but he's like, Jesus, Vancouver's like, like outside Vancouver, the, the extreme. Way outside the extreme. Yeah. So and and that's the thing, right? And when we think about all the recent policies lately, such as the foreign buyers tax or the federal mortgage rules, all these things that are focused on the demand side, and yet there still haven't been any meaningful steps taken towards increasing supply or kind of deregulating. Um, well, you think not like, even deregulating, yeah, but, but just lightening or perhaps expediting. Um, or like some, some like when we had Hector Bremner on talking about blanket rezoning, like those are the types of things I think that uh, that Ben would be calling for to get this back to like you know let the let the market dictate absolutely and uh, get the cost down. But uh, anyway, maybe we should leave it there and cut to our interview. Yeah. Without further ado, here's our interview with Benjamin Dacus from the C.D. Howe Institute. Enjoy. 
Okay, so we're here with Benjamin Dacus, Associate Director of Research at the C.D. Howe Institute. How are you, Benjamin? Uh, Great to have me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today. So, Ben, uh, can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I guess my background is that uh, I'm one of the very few people who's a dedicated urban economist, uh, where uh, my background is a, a degree in what's called regional science. Uh, from the Lund School of Economics. And uh, for those of you following at home, uh, Lund School of Economics is one of the few universities that really has a specialization in uh, sort of urban economics, especially in real estate. The program I was in was so specialized in uh, urban economics that I was one of only two people who took it, and it was canceled next year because of a lack of interest. Wow. Uh, wow. And, so you're, <laughs> man, you're like one of the few people in the world that have that specialization, likely, it sounds like. Yeah. And uh, all my professors back back then uh, were, were focused on uh, the economic cost of zoning regulations in the UK. Do you think you've got a bad in, in Vancouver or, or, or here in Toronto? We ain't seen nothing. Uh, where the, the regulations in the UK are uh, full-on bonkers. Uh, so they were estimating the cost of things we can make, might get into if you're interested but uh, that that's what really inspired me to, uh, when I came back to Canada, do something like that. So I've been noodling around on this topic pretty much since the first day I started at the Institute, which is slightly over 10 years, 10 years ago. And I finally got the data to be able to do it uh, because getting the, the right kind of data for this project was, uh, was the, the main barrier. And once we finally came across it, we were off to the races. Fantastic. So, yeah, you, uh, you co-authored... Uh, the study through the roof, the high costs of barriers to building new housing in Canadian municipalities. Can you walk us through the study and its findings? Sure. The The important part for Vancouver is the first part, and I'll get into uh, the second part, which uses detailed Ontario data to explain a little bit of the color and background behind the, the, the findings. The basic premise of, of the paper, the first part of the paper, is that no matter what economic product you're talking about, what what market you're talking about, whether it's the market for paper, whether it's the market for computer screens, chairs, or housing, a very basic economic law applies. And this is a universal law, which is that in a competitive market without restrictions on entry, in which anyone uh, can provide whatever the market uh, people are willing to pay, the, over the long term, the cost that consumers pay is going to be equal to approximately what it costs to produce it, what's called the marginal cost in economic jargon. So what that takes into account are things like labor costs, things like the construction cost, a very basic rate of return on capital. And I, mean, I emphasize a very basic rate of return. What that means is uh, if, there, if the business is extraordinarily profitable, other companies are going to start coming in and underselling and underpricing relative to the extremely profitable competitor. And so they're going to eat up, eat up a lot of their market. And it's also going to reflect just the basic cost of servicing land because it does take a little bit of, you know, it does have, there is a cost to getting pipes and other things to that land. So that's what the cost of land or the cost of a, a new house should be, uh, the price to, to, to any consumer. The, co- the, the price of what it costs to build it should be what people pay. 
And when there are gigantic gaps between those two numbers, that is, to us, to economists, a sign of a market failure, where there are restrictions on supply, there are restrictions on entry that mean that uh, this, this market is broken. Now, it often uh, is caused by government regulations, and we can get into exactly what kind of government regulations are behind it, but that's uh, really what you see around the world. That's, that's the fundamental drivers of this. Just thinking uh, very quickly here, and I know you haven't unpacked the article, uh, or the it's longer than an article, it's a, a research paper, I guess, uh, in, in, in much depth here, but Vancouver, often we talk about uh, restrictions, geographic restrictions, right? Like the mountains to the north, the border to the south, the, the ocean to the west, uh, and that's often seen as a sign of why Vancouver is so expensive. Is that is that not uh, as large a driving force as, as commonly perceived? No. So let, let's walk through logic in a couple of different instances. Uh, one, let's forget about Vancouver. Let's, let's just look down the road, uh, down the highway to Abbotsford, or Abbotsford, I guess is the proper pronunciation, depending on who you ask. <laughs> the, there's actually a fair bit of land around the area. The question just becomes access to it and, and other barriers. So we actually find that the percentage of the overall cost of uh, what a, a house would cost. Uh, Abbotsford has uh, just as high re- restrictions uh, or uh, barrier cost as Vancouver. But you also have to think of the logic through one step further, which is that if you see a more difficult to construct area, uh, what you see is actually the cost of construction going up. So you, you would see developers going into more mountainous areas, going into, you uh, say, infill areas where, or uh, land remediation areas uh, where they've got to you know, spend a lot of time to uh, construct or to uh, you know, fix, fix uh, the polluted land, turn that into housing. So what that means in the economist's jargon is that they go up their supply curve. So the, the cost of construction should go up. And so in that case, uh, you, you don't necessarily need to see uh, a major gap between the price of housing uh, and the cost, the cost of construction. Uh, it's only when you have barriers to construction, barriers to cha- changing over, say, industrial land to housing, that you see uh, this kind of gap between what it costs versus what it uh, what, what cost of build versus what people pay. Interesting. So I guess, so what you're saying then is by, by uh, measures like the ALR, we're forcing people to remediate land or, or build in more complicated circumstances and therefore prices are, are the building costs are, are going up. That's part of it. But we have to remember there's, there's another step here, which is that we're not, you know, in and of themselves, high construction costs aren't a problem. If, if, if that's what, you know, if it costs what it costs, uh, and that's what the consumers pay, that's fine. Edmonton is actually a good example. Edmonton, of, of all the cities that we looked at in our study, Edmonton had the highest cost of construction per square foot uh, over this whole period. And you know, want to know why that was? It was because of you know the, the competition for construction workers going up to Fort, uh, Fort McMurray area. But the end price for uh, consumers per square foot was about what it cost to actually build it. So there wasn't, there weren't any serious barriers to construction, uh, in, increasing the, the price of housing. It was just because of, of the, you know, the market conditions. And there's not, there's not a heck of a lot the government can do about market conditions. Same thing. This, this goes back to the logic 
around uh, going back going to infill land. Uh, there's not a heck of a lot that gov- you know. If, there's, if you're completely out of land, let's forget about the ALR, which is a different topic. Let's say that uh, you know there wasn't any ALR and it was just mountains. Uh, if the cost, then there's nothing the government can do about that. And so, uh, if the cost to build more infill just keeps going up, uh, that's what the market price is going to be. But now we get to the ALR. So again, the ALR uh, is a government policy of that restricts the ability for develop you know housing development and that absolutely has an effect on prices we don't have a definitive number uh for the alr we, we this is where we get into some of this ontario data but restrictions on land use are a major driver of the higher higher price of housing especially in ontario and you can then you can assume the lessons apply uh, to vancouver and so so ben we might have got ahead of ourselves here because for a lot of our listeners who haven't actually read the paper. So one of the things your paper suggests is that uh, government regulation is actually a huge driving force in in the cost of housing, right? And, and one of the striking things that, um, you know, that struck us as uh, guys who sell real estate in Vancouver is that you're saying that uh, the cost of housing restrictions in Vancouver specifically leads to 600k on the average single family home uh, in terms of new construction and kind of overrun cost right can you speak a little bit about that and the types of of restrictions that you're talking about these excessive regulations sure so well, something to keep in mind is that the six it's 640,000 we just around around rounded at 600k uh what what that is is the overall cost of all the possible barriers between uh, the ALR, development fees, development cost levies, community amenity contributions, delays in the zoning approval process, all these things might contribute to this gap between what it actually costs to build the place and what people end up paying. Uh, so that, that $640,000 is all those things combined. We're not able to break out uh, what exactly the causes are in, uh, in Vancouver. Uh, because we don't have the detailed data that we do, we have for say Ontario, in which we're able to city by city, year by year, compare what these kinds of government policies, um, uh, what effect these kinds of government policies have on house prices in Ontario cities. And those are some valuable lessons that uh, folks like yourself, people listening in Vancouver, might want to take away. And and what are some of the for the Ontario cities like you're talking about zoning limitations, development charges? Can you kind of walk us through the the key sure. the key regulations? Sure. So I'll walk through three. Uh, first is uh, development charges, which are also called development cost levies uh, in in BC. Uh, two is on zoning requirements, and three is on uh, restrictions on on greenfield land use. So let me walk through each of those uh, three. First, development cost levies. These are much higher in the GTA than in Vancouver, to be fair. Uh, so the lessons are most applicable in Vancouver, as in Toronto, but you can learn a few lessons. Uh, in some Ontario cities, they're, they're getting close to now $100,000 uh, per single-family house. That's a huge amount. And the largest single component for these, uh, these uh, development charges is for water and wastewater infrastructure. So, but when you step back and think about it, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense to finance water and wastewater infrastructure all up front, because as we showed in our paper, these development cost charges end up being you know, embedded in the sticker shock 
of new housing. So think about your purchase of your house. If you were told that you had to pay for it all up front through an upfront fee, uh, looking at a million dollars, you'd, you'd maybe you know say, uh, maybe not, I'll pass. So what we do, we don't pay for our, our house all up front. We take out a mortgage and we pay for that house over its, over its lifetime in which we own it, 25 years or so. And that's also the way that we pay for a lot of other infrastructure that comes to our house, whether you're talking about your electricity bill or your internet bill or your natural gas bill. The, the cost to construct that, that uh, infrastructure is embedded in your monthly bill. So it's a, a delivery charge or it's, it's implicit in what you pay every month. But municipalities have got a pretty good deal going. Which is that they make you they make uh, new home buyers pay all up front. So what it is is effectively a debt transfer from cities onto the household. So that doesn't seem like a lot of, a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense to pay for a cost of capital, the infrastructure costs. Uh, every time you flush your toilet or turn on your taps, that's a, that's a smarter way to finance infrastructure. Uh, number two uh, is on uh, zoning restrictions. So we are able to see what share of uh, housing applications uh, in each Ontario city uh, over the last about 10 years, what share of zoning applications are approved quickly as opposed to having to go through a lengthy review. And surprise, surprise, uh, as a city uh, increases the amount of uh, housing permits that go through a, a, a zoning review, prices go up. And we see that pretty, pretty clearly here in Toronto, which has one of the highest rates for acquiring a, a lengthy zoning review. And third is all the various restrictions on being able to develop outward from a city. Here in Ontario, there's been this big debate about what's called the Green Belt, which is very similar to the ALR. But here in Ontario, there's a number of other policies. Uh, one thing is called the Growth Plan, which greatly restricts the ability for cities to approve housing applications that are between the existing urban growth boundary, so where that last house is, uh, to that greenbelt, to, that green to, to, that, to the, that green belt or ALR equivalent land. So it's that land. We're, we actually have a ton of it here, on, here in Ontario, but government policies have made it pretty much impossible to access it. And, th and thirdly in that is that uh, cities themselves zone some of this land for agriculture. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense when uh, there's a lot of development that wants to be on on, on this kind of land, but has to go through a lengthy review process, rezoning process in order to get that uh, into uh, developable hands. So it, it, my assumption here, and it sounds like your assumption as well, is based on your findings in Ontario, the fact that can you talk a little bit about how how you get to the the higher number in in Vancouver and and how is it an assumption that those are the factors that work this the three that you outlined there um, yeah here in Vancouver yeah the, we don't have the equivalent data uh, for for BC and we're and we're as transparent as you can imagine being uh, about that and it's, a two, it's two totally different uh, methodologies with two totally different sets of data. Uh, and so uh, that overall $640,000 number in the Vancouver area uh, is one way of looking at the overall cost, whereas what we look at in, in Ontario is uh, imagine a you know, city like Toronto or cities, in, especially the suburban GTA, taking their really high development charges 
or taking their really restrictive uh, zoning rules and just getting down to the, you know, even the provincial average for these things. And uh, here in Ontario, uh, some of these cities would see reduction in housing prices by 100000 or more for a single-family house if they just went down to the average. So, again, this is for Ontario. These are Ontario numbers. Similar but different uh, kinds of policies in, in BC that you can definitely learn some lessons for, but we just don't have the kind of equivalent detailed data of city-by-city city development charges or zoning restrictions uh, in BC like we do here in Ontario. So so we've been dealing here in Vancouver with a, a housing crisis for for years now. And, and in the last couple of years, we've seen almost all focus um, on demand, right? Like demand is, has been the problem for the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of policies that have come out this year are focused on demand. It sounds like you're seeing the problem uh, more in regards to supply and how and the regulatory framework governing supply. Why do you think demand has been so the focus here in Vancouver? And I guess in Ontario as well. Yeah. So let me give you let me give you some intuition behind why our our way of thinking about housing construction costs is the right way to think about it. The question of supply versus demand. Demand is absolutely increasing in Vancouver. So let's not forget about that. And demand on its face would increase would increase the price of housing. That's that's kind of like a duh thought, right? Uh, but here's the thing: you only see a substantial increase in the price of housing if there isn't a commensurate increase in supply because you know you're going to see uh in the face of increased demand more developers come in uh, developers come in and try to build more infill housing build more housing on harder to develop plots so what you should see in the long term uh, is that as more developers come in to service this new new set of uh, foreign buyers Prices will go up for sure, but only as much as the actual cost of building it goes up. So when you see prices substantially increase beyond the, the price of construction, that's when you're seeing supply not nearly matching up uh, to increases in demand. Because you can have all the increase in demand you want as long as supply is there, developers are there, uh, have, an, have an open enough market to be able to, to meet that demand. Right. So Ben, what can cities like Vancouver and Toronto actually do on the ground to uh, to ease this this issue with supply? First and foremost, for you know cities that don't have a lot of land themselves, is allow uh, make it easier to enable zoning or zoning, rezoning for slightly higher density. You know, there's often this sort of mythical perception of Vancouver is, you know, if you look at the West End. Uh, I can never remember if it's the west end or the west side, uh, where you see all the condos. Uh, but if you if you go down you know, any, anywhere west south end. of there, the west end. So if you go uh, anywhere uh, south of there, it's single family housing. You know, you know 1950s, 60s style uh, single family housing. As far as the eye can see, when you're, in a, when you're coming in from an airplane, there is tons of uh, just broad, uh, open, you know, you know underutilized land that can be rezoned for infill development. But zoning restrictions make that otherwise too difficult. You know, even bake getting basic things done like laneway housing or other kinds of uh, you know slightly higher gentle gentler increases in density are way too hard to do in Vancouver. Same thing in Toronto. It's this kind of thing, these it's these kinds of 
um, uh, you know, simple zoning restrictions that uh, have a very high cost that cities like Toronto and Vancouver need to deal with. So, two two questions. Um, the f- first is: Is this just kind of years and years of uh, misunderstanding the problem, or playing politics, or like how how do we get here? And and what does a healthy, functional municipality look like um, from your perspective? Well, the reason that we might have gotten here is the politics of restricting zoning supply and increasing costs on new, ho- new new housing are just incredibly toxic brew. And it's very easy for a pol- for you know, for municipal politicians to fall into this trap. Let's, let's think about a couple different ways. One, uh, if you're any if you're a municipal councillor or mayor, your incumbent voters are the people who own a house in your neighbor in a neighborhood. They have every incentive to want to drive up the price of housing. Any new building that comes in is going to uh, dramatically or potentially dramatically affect the value of their number one asset. So they will fight this tooth and nail. And this is exactly what you see, local politicians uh, you know, supporting these kinds of development restrictions. But you also see in suburban municipalities uh, the crack cocaine of uh, development charges for municipal finances uh, just creating this very strong incentive for uh, municipal governments to keep keep taxes on existing residents down and levy charges on uh, someone who literally has not even moved into the, into the city yet. So someone who can't possibly vote for them, uh, who's going to have who's going to end up paying these charges. So it's just a, a, a toxic political brew that just leads to every incentive to keep the cost of housing higher. And so last, and it sounds like obviously the the costs are passed on to the the consumer here. How how does this play out on the ground for the average consumer? Oh, what it means is that uh, for the average consumer, whether you're buying a house uh, or want you want to rent, because it's all it makes its way to, into the rental market as well. If you're tr- if you're looking to get into the housing market or improve your house, you uh, you're going to pay a lot more than you need to. At the end of the day, in a competitive market. You should be paying what it costs what cost to build, but we also have to think beyond this. It's not just you know the effect on the, the, the family buying a house in Vancouver. Think about the inequality effect. You have people in uh, otherwise poor poor areas here in Ontario, places like Windsor or in uh, Niagara, uh, places that have been devastated by by recession, or uh, other places in in BC where. Uh, you know, these people want to come to get higher, higher-paying jobs, more productive jobs, in uh, in in Vancouver, uh, or or Toronto, and be in here in Ontario. These people are going to be left out. Not only them, but their children. Uh, places like uh, you know, if you look at studies in the United States. Places like San Francisco have been the great elevators for social social mobility, and that channel is being blocked off by higher housing prices. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Ben, but uh, how can people find out more about your research and uh, this study in particular? Go to cdhow.org. Fantastic. Th- thanks so much, Ben. That was a really interesting conversation. Learned a lot and uh, really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me on. So, 
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Benjamin Dacus from the C.D. Howe Institute. Super interesting conversation with Benjamin and uh, really timely, I think, and uh, it just adds to the debate, right? Yeah, well, you know what? And it does, I feel like it's kind of a pile-on in a lot of ways to some of the ideas that have been percolating on this, uh, percolating, I should say, on this show. So right. really interesting, uh, another voice there. Absolutely, Matt. And next week, I am so excited for this next is, week. This is, we're branching out here. This is going to be unbelievable. We are having our first debate, live debate. Uh, not live. Well, not well, live. It's well, recorded. Live. It's, we're going to be there. Yeah, we're going to be there. It's going to be live to us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we got Tom Davidoff, fan favorite. Tom Davidoff. UBC Sauter School of Business, economics professor, uh, all things real estate, talking Total talking head. head, yeah. Tom Davidoff. Uh, versus on and not versus in a in no, a hostile versus way. in a not non hostile way. Andre Pavlov, also a former guest, a also thinker. an incredibly bright guy from SFU's economics department. And so it's uh, kind of UBC versus well, not it's versus, almost not, no, versus. not versus UBC collaborating with SFU. Well, the interesting thing is both these guys, and we've been talking about this since we started the podcast. The BC Housing Affordability Fund was that uh, that idea that I think Tom was most famous for, but it was 40 economics professors basically came up with this housing fund that really kind of some of the ideas were poached for the BC speculation tax. But here's the interesting thing. Both of them signed on to that as a great idea. Yeah. The BC speculation tax, Tom supports. Andre Andre is dead set against it. Uh, this, the school tax, Tom supports. Andre's dead set against it. Wow. So we got two economics professors. Both of them want to go tete-a-tete. So uh, this is going to be, and we've had them both on the podcast. They're both really, really it's gonna be, great It's going to be amazing. We might even have a survey at the end to see uh, who won. You can go vote. We'll oh, see. We'll but it's, see. again, not a versus. Not it's a versus. More of a collaboration. It's more of a, and also more of just a, a conversation around current housing policy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What else do we got? We have private client services. If you're not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk on by. Now head over to our website, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You can sign up for PCS. You get sold prices. You get days on market. You get basically realtor level information. We also have the mobile app that basically offers the same thing when you're on the go. So if you're riding the SkyTrain in the dentist's office and you're looking for your real a estate on fix, your motorcycle. here's the thing though. I've been told by uh, Swansea, uh, a very good friend of mine and uh, listener of the podcast, that the app does not provide sold prices anymore. I ha- This is unverified as of yet, but uh, wow. this might be the case. So uh, we're still offering it on the website, but we may have to change the, uh, you should the have, pitch a little bit. You should bit. always have a PCS account regardless, and it should be set up and tailored to exactly either where you live currently, where you own your investment property, wherever it is, just have a PCS account set up. That's, that should be something mandatory, PCS and that's where you get the, the sold and, prices. And that is the tried and true, right? Like it We've is. been using it for a long time, and it's uh, it's the tried and true for sure. So what else do we got? We got the live wire. We got the live wire. Sign up for the live wire. It's giving you deal of the month. It gives you great tips and information. It keeps you up to date with new episodes and upcoming episodes. It's got everything. And yeah. also, we've been doing a lot of polls lately. We're doing polls. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You know, we didn't just sit in Mexico and drink uh margaritas we came up with some new ideas we did listen to a lot of jimmy (laughs) no we didn't 
but yeah, you know what? It is. It's all over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And so the last, yeah, last but not least, we are almost at what? Almost at 160 reviews. Yeah, it feels yeah. like just yesterday we broke 150. So if you like this podcast and you've learned something today or um, during one of the other shows, the biggest compliment that you can give us is getting in touch. Second biggest is going over and giving us a review. We really appreciate it. That's how we're it helps us grow our podcast. And thank you so much. And last but not least, Matt, how can people get in touch? You can try me anytime, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And you, Adam? Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And if you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, I'm looking at you, Adam, info at... Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. The nonpartisan line. Check it out. All right. Well, have a great week, guys. And really, you got to be back for next week. It's the great debate. Oh, be it resolved that. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.